Well, Ernie, we had a plan of how that was going to go, but then I got tapped on the shoulder by the, the sound people. And you always do what the sound people say. That's just the rule. So welcome here uh, to our morning this morning. That was kind of redundant. Welcome to our service uh, this morning. If you want to, oh, Sunday school time. Nobody saw anything. Did it go underneath the camera? Oh, good job, Shayla. Then you don't know what I'm talking about. That's okay. First Corinthians chapter 6 uh, this morning. But I just want to highlight a, a couple of things before we get going here. Um, a few people have actually asked me what the plan is going to be for summer and whether we're going to take a break from First Corinthians and go back to the little question series that I did last summer. And that's always good news because that means a few of those people have some questions in mind that they want to ask. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break uh, kind of right at the end of June. Uh, wherever we're at in First Corinthians, I, I don't know. Uh, I kind of have it marked down, but again, I don't follow my own notes very well. Uh, and then for July and August, if, if we have, you know, eight or ten or so questions, uh, then we're going to address those. And then we'll get back into Corinthians uh, in the fall. So if you have a question, something to do with Scripture, something to do with uh, your understanding of God, or, or a confusing passage in the Bible where you're like, man, this, this bit just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, whatever it might be. Again, I don't have all the answers, but I will work hard at finding uh, good explanations and biblical explanations for those things. Uh, so you're welcome to do that. Now, again, there's no box here, uh, but, you know, we live in the digital age of text and email and all these things. And if you want it to be anonymous, right, like that's totally fine. If you have a question that you're, you're, you're not really sure you want to tag your name to, that's totally fine. And you can just write that in and, uh, you know, stick it under the flower pot outside the church or uh, knock on our door and run. No, maybe don't knock and run. But, uh, you know, whatever you want to do, that's fine. And then we will address those uh, as we can. Uh, also, Easter is, is only five Sundays away. It's crazy to think that. Um, but we're getting there. So hopefully, um, I won't name drop, but somebody mentioned to me this morning that hopefully uh, our capacity should be increasing now that hospitalizations are going down. So hopefully by Easter, we'll be able to uh, be more together. Um, and, and we're excited for that. Now on the off chance, or maybe not the off chance, on, on the other side of it, if we're not, we're going to do our best to try and make that s- a very unique service uh, so that it has special meaning and significance uh, as, as Easter Sunday should. Um, but we're going to do whatever we can. So just rest assured that we are, we are thinking and we are planning and, and praying about how God wants us uh, to move forward in this. So now let's get back to 1 Corinthians. So last week, we dealt with a, a pretty difficult uh, subject, uh, kind of church discipline and some sexual immorality that, that takes place within the church. Now, the interesting thing is that Paul's going to get back to that for, for quite a chunk here, but he, in these 11 verses that we're going to look at, in 6, 1 to 11, he kind of diverts away from that and goes on to lawsuits. And then, and then he'll go back to sexual purity, what, what marriage is meant to look like, uh, and some of these types of things before going on to deal with some different issues. So this morning, it seems kind of like it's a, a really strange shift. But what I want to remind us of is how we ended last week so that you can see that the shift is actually not as uh, pronounced as we might think it is. Is at the end of the text last week, uh, Paul started to talk about this idea of judging. And he says in verse 12, For what have I to judge, or what have I to do with judging outsiders? 
is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And so we talked about this idea that within the church, we are to hold each other accountable. We are to help each other grow and mature. Uh, But those outside the church, we have to wait until God regenerates their heart before we can hold them to any kind of a a biblical standard. Uh, Often we kind of get sidetracked and, well, some of these people, they just, they don't, they don't, uh, Maybe talk the way that they should or, or you know, whatever it might be. And it's like, of course not. They, they don't have a regenerated heart yet. And so we pray for that, but only the Holy Spirit can bring them to a place of repentance. And, and then when they come into the church, then we enter into that, uh, that, we talked about it in a sense of membership last Sunday. We enter into a covenant with them so that we can help each other in our growth. And so Paul's now going to address something that's happening within the church that should be dealt with within the church because they're believers together. But he's saying you're actually going out of the church to deal with some of these things, and, and, and that's not the right way that this should be. So I hope you see that correlation so it doesn't kind of sound kind of way out in left field all of a sudden. But it is kind of an interesting thing. So just before we read this, I also want to say this. So we're going to deal with lawsuits. Uh, and sometimes we, when we're reading Scripture, we assume when we understand these words, things like lawsuits and going to court and some of these things, we interpret it based on our culture. We interpret it based on what we understand right now. And some of this is different here, and I'm going to try and highlight some of that as we go through. But the only reason I say that is so we can try and kind of step back a little bit from what our assumptions are going to be and just try and see what Paul's main point is and what he's trying to get after. And I'll try and clarify a little, the, a, a few of the cultural differences that exist there. So let's read these verses together and then we'll get going. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, Are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes against, pardon me, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a, de- uh, already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor uh, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Before we get into this, I want to read to you a quote from a man named Herman. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name. We're going to butcher this, but we're, it looks like it's Ritterboss, which would be a pretty good last name. Uh, but he kind of summarized this section in a way that I thought was really, really helpful. He says this, For the sake of the kingdom, Jesus wants his disciples to give up their rights, interests, benefits, and safeguards. This is not saying that the kingdom of God consists in having no property or in the absence of rights. 
but it means that God's kingdom represents something higher than a hierarchy of human values and interests, and that the righteousness of the kingdom teaches us to subject everything to this. I thought that was just very, very beautifully put. Is and We talk about this lots, is when we are in Christ, our whole perspective should change. Everything should shift. Now, yes, we live in a culture that we live in, and we have to operate within those realities, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But the reality also is that we are not who we once were. We are new. Our goal is not only, uh, and, and probably shouldn't be primarily either, the things of this world, but the things of heaven, the things of eternity. And so when we think about lawsuits, when we think about what's happening within the church here, what Paul's trying to get at is that actually lawsuits aren't even really the problem. There's a far deeper rooted problem that's happening within the church in Corinth and that brother uh, brother to brother or, or one from the church into another from the church, they're not caring and loving each other. They're trying to defraud and they're, they're missing the whole point of the gospel. So he says, when one of you has a grievance against another, and then and look how it says, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous? This is, uh, as far as I could find, the only time this Greek word is used in all of the New Testament. It's, it's, it's intense. It's like last week in, in chapter 5, he says, it is actually reported. It's like this shocking realization that I can't even believe this is happening there. And that's kind of the same thing he is saying here. It's actually reported that you are going to the law before unrighteous instead of to the saints. Now, Alan Johnson notes here for us that Paul is talking about civil law rather than criminal law, right? So the issue is not that uh, we supersede the law in, in our culture, right? If you murder somebody, you don't get to come to the church and the church gets to try you. That's not how that works. There's massive consequences for criminal law. The issue here is things that are happening within brothers and sisters within the church and, and their response to that. Now, remember, in last week's text, this man was, was sleeping with his mother-in-law, or that's the best guess that we have, the way that Paul words that. And while Paul is harsh towards that, his bigger issue is with the church and how they've lacked to respond and how they've, or I guess how they've negatively responded and how they should respond. And, and this is a similar thing here. His point is not the lawsuits. His point is that there shouldn't even be this issue within the church. Richard Pratt write, wrote it this way. The fact that the Corinthians mishandled lawsuits by taking them to public court was terrible, but this problem, this problem flowed out of an underlying difficulty. The Corinthians mistreated one another and failed to reconcile their conflicts in a Christian manner. Now, at this time, in this culture, uh, the issue that really was happening, and, and kind of commentators across the board agree with this issue, is that, and, and you see it all through Corinthians in various ways, is there's people in the church that think they're more established or, or have a better standing or are um, more valuable in the sense of a worldly context, and there are others who are poor. There are others who don't have any standing. And what the commentators say here is that the rich were abusing their power and taking simple matters that should have been worked out in private to court because they knew that the poor would not be able to defend themselves. They knew they could get what they wanted. Now, you've all probably seen some kind of a movie with, you know, the lawyer fighting a big corporation for the little guy or something. And we all just like, 
immediately identify there and we want the little guy to win because it's like, wh- why is he being attacked? And, and Paul's indignation here is that these things that, sh- that are happening in the world are actually happening within the church. That one is looking at their brother or sister in the Lord and instead of being gracious and kind and, and he says, why, why not rather be defrauded? Why, why not rather suffer wrong? Instead of doing that, instead of doing what is right, they're taking these people to court knowing full well that they'll get to win. They'll get to get what they want. And most commentators seem to think that the courts were a very um, uh, sketchy, I guess is the word that comes to mind, that they weren't very fair. And so that they could be uh, officials could be bribed, again, by the poor to just get what they want. See, the church, and we're going to talk about this more as Corinthians goes on, but the church is meant to show the world Christ's relationship with us. We are supposed to show the world what it means to be loved by God and how that love comes out of us to our brothers and sisters. That doesn't mean that we just always, you know, if somebody hurts us or wrongs us, that there's not accountability. Paul's saying... There should be people within the church that can mediate and can help with these things so that resolution can be brought. But these things should be so secondary to the love and the care that we have for one another. Paul even says it this way, we're going to partner with Christ in judging the world. We're actually even going to partner with Christ in judging the angels. And and these texts are found in Matthew 19, Luke 22, Daniel 7, Second uh, Peter 2, and then several parts of Revelation. And admittedly, I, I don't know exactly what that looks like. Like, I don't know if all of us as Christians line up alongside Christ when the angels are paraded before us, and like, I have no idea what that looks like. But I do know what's talked about in Scripture, that we are created in God's image, and we will take part in that judgment. But the issue is, is not so much that. Paul's issue is, if, you, if this is true, then how can you not judge these simple, trivial little cases here on earth? Richard Pratt again says it this way, practically speaking, because Christians should see things in light of the kingdom of God and have true spiritual wisdom, any Christian should have greater wisdom and be a better judge than even the wisest unbeliever. Now again, remember, that's within the context of the church. What he's saying is we should have a different perspective. That our goal should not be to defraud someone and get the greatest amount of settlement. Our goal should be that the, re- the relationship is restored and that we are both walking in faith and, and in deeper relationship with Jesus. That should always be the goal. Now, yes, if we wrong somebody, the church should, in Paul's view here, the church should step in and mediate that and make sure that the party that's been wronged, that it's corrected, that it's dealt with. So we're not talking about like, oh, just ignore it and don't worry about it. We're talking about how are we going to interact with our brothers and our sisters, brothers and our sisters. But there's something really interesting here, and it's, it, the, the irony is incredible. So verse four, um, sorry, verse five says, "I say this to your shame. Can it be that no one among you is wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers?" Now remember. Paul's been dealing with the foolishness of the Corinthians because they're elevating their own wisdom ahead of God's wisdom. And so they think they've arrived to some kind of a a, a spiritual maturity and and they're so wise and so good and they see the world so well and and the Greek uh, intellectual influence in there was that they just had, had all the wisdom. And then when Paul says this, 
It's like you who say that you are so wise, you can't even mediate a simple dispute within the church. But you got to take it to an unbeliever who sees, who, who has a very different perspective than you do. You, you think you're wise, but you're so foolish. That's what Paul is saying. And he actually says, I say this to your shame. Then he also says, but brother goes against brother, and that before unbelievers, to have lawsuits at all is already a defeat to you. Leon Morris summed it up by saying, to go to law with a brother is a defeat in itself, regardless of the outcome of the legal process. She's saying, yeah, you, you might win, but at what cost? We as Christians want to protect the integrity of our local church, and we want to lift it high so that people can see that we live by a different standard of rules. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 39 to 40, to turn the other cheek. And if someone sued you at law for your tunic, then give your cloak as well. Jesus had a very different way of seeing these things. The fact that the Corinthians couldn't see this was indeed shocking. Uh, even Plato, right, the Greek philosopher, said this, it is better to suffer wrong than to do wrong. Even he had a better perspective than the Corinthian church. Paul says, why not suffer wrong? Why not be defrauded? Don't wrong and defraud your own brothers. If you have to be the bigger man or, or the more mature believer and just say, you know what, I'm just going to suffer the loss of this one because I don't want to fight. I don't want to ruin the reputation of the church. I want people to see something different. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you love one another. So the world will literally see God through us by the way that we interact with and the way that we care for one another. And Paul's saying that's not happening. Now again, we're about to, in verse 9 here, we're actually going to get into the heart of the issue. Lawsuits aren't the problem. A complete misunderstanding of the gospel is the problem. Now he gives a, a very similar list, actually. Right? He says, don't be deceived. None of these types of people will enter the kingdom of God. This is not some exhaustive list that these are the only people. Right? His point is the same as last week, is if we don't have a repentant heart, and if we're not trying to seek after God, then we are deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're Christians when we're not. Because you were born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Because you know, we talked about this at our devotions either last night or the night before with our family, is just because you know things about Jesus doesn't mean that you're a follower of Jesus just means you have a bunch of trivia. All of us as Christians need to have a repentant heart, a soft heart, when that, so when God convicts us of things that are wrong in our lives, that we recognize them and we try to pursue righteousness, not just be satisfied to just live however we want. Christianity isn't some kind of a, a fire insurance that you pray a prayer and then you know that you're good and you can just go and live the way that you want. Right? We talked about that last week in Romans 6. Paul says, by no means should we continue to live in sin so that grace would abound. That doesn't even make sense. 
Paul's argument as he goes through Romans to the believers there is that we should live a righteous life, one that shows that we are not our own, but that we are bought at a price and that we belong to another. And we've talked about all of this already, so I don't want to belabor this point. But I do want us to recognize when Paul says, do not be deceived, that that warning is not just for the Corinthians. That warning is for us too. We can think, Man, yeah, I'm good. I, I, I'm, I'm a good Christian. I, I do lots of good things. But if our hearts aren't repentant and we just want to live in sin and we're okay to live in sin and to live however we want, then Paul says, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now again, he clarifies so that we don't get confused because he says, and such were some of you. Right? He's saying, look, you've been regenerated. Some of you were these types of things. You were these types of people, but you were regenerated. You were given a new heart. You are now, you have the the Holy Spirit within you. You no longer are this. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't struggle. That doesn't mean that we don't sin, and probably more often than we would like to think. Is when we're given our new heart, right? When we're given the Holy Spirit, it's not as though there's a complete separation and we no longer ever struggle. We still do, but we understand now that we don't have to do those things. We can live in the freedom of Christ and there's a better way to live and we can, we can seek after God and we can not just give in to how we used to live, what we used to do. I was, uh, I was listening to a sermon by uh, Matt Chandler earlier this week. And one of the focuses that he had on this is he said, our righteousness is so often defined in our own minds based on everyone around us. And he said, so in the list here, there's nine things that are given. And he says, if, if we can say that we are good for three of those nine, right, which I don't know if you went to school, but that's not a passing grade, right? But if you've gone for three of nine, he says, what we do is we look for someone else who can go zero for nine. And then we build ourselves up and we go, see, I'm nothing like that neighbor, that person. They, they're the ones that this Bible passage is talking about. But me, I, I'm pretty good because I, I can follow some of them. And all that does is show that we do not understand what repentance is, what salvation is, what the gospel is. Now remember, verse 11. Such were some of you, but notice the grammar now that we use. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we the active participant there? No, God is. Right? We didn't wash ourselves he did. We didn't sanctify ourselves. He did. We didn't justify ourselves. He did. Paul's not trying to look at them and say, look, you guys are awful people. Get it together and try harder. That's not his point, not at all. His point is, look, you are no longer who you were. You have a, you have a new heart. You were this, but now you are this. All right, so real quick, sanctification and justification, right? So the word justified is this legal term, right, that when we come to Christ, that we are justified in the sense that when God looks at us, he declares us righteous based on the works of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. So legally, we stand before God justified. Sanctified means the sense of becoming holy. So there's, there's a, 
aspect of it that's positional, that I now stand holy before God because of what Christ has done. But there's also this ongoing process of becoming more like Christ. Again, if the point of everything was just to become a Christian, then when you became a Christian, you would just go up to be with God. Right? But Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples. He says, go and spread this message of the gospel. Take what you have heard and what you've known, mature in it, and pass it on to others that they would mature so that they would go. Our lives, once we have become a Christian, are not over. One part of our life is over. A new part is now beginning. And we seek to be mature and we seek to grow and to fall more in love with Jesus so that we can become more like him so that others can be brought into the kingdom of God, not because of us, but because of what Jesus is doing in us. This is Paul's focus here. Saying you're, you're missing it all. You're, instead, you're going to court and you're defrauding your brothers or sisters in Christ because you care more about you and your own possessions than you do about Jesus. So now, let me just clarify this again. This does not mean that if, let's say, you hired by somebody, you've signed a contract, and then they fire you wrongfully. That doesn't mean that you don't get to defend yourself in that. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying when within the church, brothers and sisters enter into some kind of a partnership, some kind of agreement, that surely you can work it out. Now, I understand there are the extremes, right? There's always an extreme example. But that Paul's giving us a principle that within the church, we are to love and to care for each other. And sometimes that means we'll be wronged. Sometimes that means we'll be hurt. And Paul's saying it's better to just deal with it than to try and somehow take this to legislation so that the world can see, man, the church can't even get along. The church doesn't even love each other. Why do I want to be part of that? Rather, Paul's saying, the world should look at it and go, why would you forgive? Why would you continue to be kind and, and loving when someone has hurt you? And then we have the perfect segue right into the gospel. Because I have a Lord who died for me. Even though, according to Romans, I was an enemy of God. Never Never should we end up thinking that because of our own righteousness, we're saved. It's always a reminder that it's only through the goodness of God and everything is his grace to us. And the only reason that I can even read scripture, understand any of it, have a relationship with God, none of it is because of me. It's all because of him. And if we start to see our lives that way, then our rights, uh, and I use that term very loosely, but the things that we think we deserve, we start to push those aside as not as important. You know, Paul said it this way, is, if I die, that's actually good. It's actually better for me because then I get to go be with him. Is if we have that perspective, then some of these trivial issues and, and some of the more serious issues that we face, we'll want to deal with it from a different perspective. Right? Jesus said, don't lay up, or don't lay for yourselves treasures on the earth. Lay up yourselves treasures in heaven. We're really good at laying things down here on the earth so that we have lots now. Or maybe some of you are in a place more like us where you're laying things down now so that in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, then you'll be good. 
And then you can really enjoy life. I want to remind you that you are not here only for 50, 70, 90, 100 years. This is just one little part of it. There's all of eternity coming. And so why focus so much so hard on having things now when we can lay out for ourselves treasures in heaven that nothing can destroy, nothing can take away? So when you read a section like this, don't get hung up in the lawsuit. Don't get hung up in, but I should get or I deserve. Realize what Paul's trying to say. Within the context of the local church, we are to care for and to love one another, not the way the world does but the way that Christ does. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for this text this morning and for the reminder that if we have made a commitment to following after Jesus, that means that our whole lives change. That means that our decision-making process changes. The things that we see as important and valuable change. So God, I pray we would have that perspective. I pray that as the world looks at us, at our, our little Banff Park Church here, that they would see something that doesn't quite add up. That they would see people that are gracious and kind and loving and merciful, despite the reality that we're all humans and that we all fall short. and Sometimes we hurt and wrong each other. But would they see your grace and your forgiveness being poured out and and, and not just into us, but out of us as well to others. God, we want to honor you and we want to exalt your name so that when the world sees it, they go, I need that. God, help us to never think that we deserve or that we have earned righteousness. That only comes because Jesus went to the cross for us. Through his death and his resurrection, we find salvation. We find sanctification. We find justification. Remind us that we are, we are new. We are no longer who we once were. And help us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be passionate about reading scripture and understanding who you are so that we can shine as a light in this very dark and very broken world. God, remind us of the importance of the local body and the church and how we care for one another. God, as we go this week, would you impress these things upon our hearts and would you challenge us and would we remember that we are called to mature and we are called to grow and may we help one another in that process as we, as we seek that end. Go with us this week. Encourage our hearts. Give us opportunities where we can share your love with others. We love you. Amen. Thank you again for joining us this morning. A reminder that you are welcome to attend Sunday mornings. Um, if you would like to do that, just get a hold of me. We'll mark you down. Uh, I know for those who have come the last number of weeks, they enjoy it. As one person said to me this morning, you can only sit at home by yourself so long before you go crazy uh, and it's good to see each other and, and worship with each other so we look forward to seeing you next week have a great day